Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Hey, everybody. It's uh, Chris here with another episode of Super Atheism uh, with the uh, triumphant return of Ross with me. Howdy. Hello, Ross. Good to be back, Chris. Yeah. And uh we've you know, we've settled our differences and I think uh I think it's funny how it all kinda worked out, you know, the timing of it all. I think it just kind of affirms, you know, the sovereignty of God. I mean, just kinda how all that went down. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, well uh, I uh I deserved uh rebuke, so well, I think it also, to me, I mean, it also indicates that I think you're hearing from, I think you're hearing from your angel, even though you might not realize it, but. Well, that's what I was going to anyway. say. I don't, I don't realize it, but. Yeah. So, let's see. So, you listened to Dave's latest call, correct? Uh, yeah, the one about the uh, how we still don't know the correct cosmology, <laughs> and the one about uh, yeah, Jackson. kind of is uh, yeah, you had a bunch of people on, but kind of the first thing I want to talk about, I kind of want to, there's a few things I want to critique or comment on from that call. So if you guys, well, I guess I'll just post the link with the show name for what what call I'm referring to in the description. But uh, the first thing I wanted to comment on is, I don't know if you caught this, but Chuck, they were kind of talking about, you know, just the absolute control of these that these people have over us, you know, the controllers. Yeah. And they're basically asking or talking about what we can do because, you know, it just looks so uh, overwhelming and dire, our situation. Right. And Chuck was basically arguing that um, he's basically arguing that uh, like knowledge is the answer. You know, we just we just need to have more knowledge. We just need to make people aware of what's going on. But uh, I mean, you you caught that right? I'm not yeah. misrepresenting him. Okay. Well. Do you think the Illuminati, do you think these controllers, I'm talking the top guys, do you think they really care how much knowledge we have? Do you think that, I mean, regardless of how much knowledge we, because, I mean, to me, they're the ones leaking most of this stuff out on purpose. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you really think that they're going to be shaken in their boots or that they're going to be threatened by how much more knowledge we have? I mean... All the technology and lost historical knowledge that they have and uh, esoteric stuff, I mean, we would have to get 
a mountain and mountains of knowledge and apply it immediately for it to be a threat <laughs> or even an annoyance, you know? Well, yeah. Well, that, and I mean, to me, it's just like, I mean, a good analogy is you would just be a more aware sheep in the pen. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's it. You're still you're still no more of a threat at all. You know what I mean? The mm-hmm. only thing that's going to solve this, the only thing that's... This is the only thing that's the answer is violence. That's the answer. That's the only thing that's going to change the situation is to violently remove these people from their positions and to trample them underfoot. Right? Right. And if we look in the Bible and deduce from it, that's exactly what it says is going to happen. This Davidic figure is going to come and he's literally going to do that. He's going to crush these people. You know, violently. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's going to take. And that's the only thing that's going to change the situation. <laughs> and that's the only thing that they are that they are scared of. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, if you look throughout history or just the Bible, I mean, what what is the thing that changed, you know, like, what, what what's the only thing that changed, like, violent regimes or tyrannical regimes or... I mean, what's the means that God has always used? Isn't it always violence? More violence, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just think this this whole mentality, you know, that people have today, that oh, all violence is wrong or all violence is bad. It's this effeminate mentality that's just in Christianity now, you know, oh, that yeah. people have. Yeah. This libertarian, anarchist you know, revulsion to all violence or compulsion, which is just completely ridiculous. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, violence and compulsion are are basically a, a part of the physical reality itself, just a part of nature. You know what I mean? It's, again, yeah. it's with, with the, the family institution. Does your child choose to be born? Did it will itself to be born? No, you forced it into this world completely without its consent. You know what I mean? You you compelled it forcefully. You force your does, your... does your child choose its name? Does it choose its identity? Does it choose its language? Does it choose its education? Does it... No, you force all that onto your child. Okay? So if you're going to take this whole mentality that all violence or all compulsion is bad... If you're going to be logically consistent with that, the ultimate logical extension and conclusion of that, by necessity, is you have to reject... You basically have to reject civilization civilization itself because you have to reject the whole family institution. You can't have any kids. You can't... You basically have to go out into the woods and stare at a tree and hum to yourself. You know what I mean? <laughs> yep. I mean, that's... <laughs> if you're going to be consistent, that's what you have to do. And you can't yeah. hunt or even even pick plants or uh, wipe your butt because that'll all kill plants and animals and germs. So suicide oh, yeah. is the only answer. And suicide is violence against yourself. So checkmate, <laughs> vegans. Yeah. You can't stay and you can't leave this uh, realm without violence. Yeah, there's no there's no way around it, and it's the only thing. It's it is the answer. You know, we I think we've been programmed to think that all violence is bad. You know, and that's not even, you, you can't derive that from the Bible. 
there's many, many times where God condones and uses violence. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, see what I want to talk about next. I also wanted to talk about, I think that Dave kind of makes a false dichotomy when he, and I think he was talking about this at the very beginning of the call, but when he's talking about how there can only be, there can only be either a, an opening at the polar north or a, a mountain. Like it has to be either or, one or the other. Yeah. Well, I think, I think it's both. I've thought this for a long time. I think that, I think that there is a hole. There's a uh, polar opening at the north. I think it's under the mountain. Like there's a, there's an entrance into the mountain, and then there's a subterranean element where it got, like the mountain's almost like hollowed out, and then there's an entrance to the basically the un, you know the under the earth through that. Like the mountains in Lord of the Rings. Mount Doom. Yeah, basically Lord. like the the Hobbit, you know. I mean, I think J.R.R. Tolkien actually put that because I think the Lonely Mountain I think symbolizes this mountain. You know, hmm. I mean, it's right there. You know, he had the entrance, and you go in, and there's like a subterranean element. It's basically like hollowed out on the inside. You know, goes underground, all that stuff. I mean, I think his whole cosmology too, he's basically telling you that, that, that that's what that mountain was, the lonely mountain. Wasn't it in like the far north? It was in like the far recesses of the you know. I uh, I don't remember which direction, but I know it was named Erebus, which was the Greek uh one of the primeval gods. The name meant darkness, I believe. Uh huh. Yeah, I mean, I think it symbolizes Mount Mount Zephon, though, which is the. You know, that literally means the the far north. Oh yeah. That's, uh-huh. Okay, okay. Um. So, so I I know. Hey, hold on. Yeah, go on. I know. I know we've uh, looked and talked at uh, the Book of Enoch before. I mean, it's not like a super esoteric book anymore. It's just considered an apocrypha book. But uh, there's parts in there that are really hard to understand. Oh, yeah. The, the spatial and geographic descriptions. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think they're... Well, you got to assume that uh, that's trustworthy, the version we have now. So there's that. But mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. There's got to be some truth in it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even even when it talks about, like, the portals that the sun goes through, I mean, people assume that they know what that means, but we have no idea what what he's talking about with that. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's all kinds of people people on YouTube that pontificate endlessly about what that possibly could mean, but there's no way to know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Outside of some authoritative revelation. I mean, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Zen Garcia, but his opinion is that that's just the sun, like, traveling through the, uh, like, the, the basically the seasons, like, when it travels around on the circuit through the seasons, it's symbolized by portals. Mm. So it's a, I mean, it's a metaphor that means nothing? 
Uh, I don't know. I, I'd have to. I, I'm not sure if that'd be fair. I'd have to relook at his explanation, but I mean, yeah, I don't know. There's no way. It's just it's ambiguous, you know. So you could, you could, you could interpret it that way, you know. That's the problem is it's ambiguous. So there's a bunch. There's a lot of leeway to it. Okay, so and, uh, you something know, else. Sorry, hold on. Okay, go on. go on. What was that that Dave was saying about the possibility of there being a shelf up towards the rim of the uh, the bowl model of the Earth? Uh-huh. I don't remember him saying that. I thought I heard the word shelf or recessed space real high up. I've got some. I mean, I, I, I'm not. I, I don't really. I know his model of cosmology, and I'm not. I mean, I know he claims that he's gotten revelation on that, but I'm not. I don't. If if all you have is just revelation, but you don't have any way to confirm it. I mean, if you don't have any way to deduce from it and compare reality to it, then to me, it's it's up in the air. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, for instance, his opinion on where Eden's located, there's no way, there's no, there's nothing we can appeal to in reality that can confirm or, you know what I mean, or deny that, you know? Yeah. I mean, to me, there's a lot of evidence to indicate that Eden's at the center. I mean, a lot, if you compare reality and historical sources and all kinds of circumstantial evidence and, I mean... You know, so I'm kind of I'm 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 not dogmatic about that, but I I tend to lean towards that that model that Eden that that is where Eden is. It's on top of the mountain in the the center in the north. So alrighty, all right, so. The next thing I wanted to talk about is Pastor Charles was on there, right? Mm-hmm. He was talking about, he made a comment about, he made a disparaging comment about incest, how basically he didn't think that Adam and Eve or their posterity committed incest because God's law doesn't change or something like that. Did you catch that? Uh, Yeah, briefly. Uh-huh. So, so what does he think happened? Well, that's the thing. I mean, let's let let me just let's let's uh, think this out a little bit. Let's uh, unpack that claim. So, I mean, the Bible does say that the law was given for sin, right? For transgressions, isn't that? That's I think Galatians three nineteen. Uh huh. Okay, so that would indicate that the law is dependent upon man, correct? The nature of man? Mm -hmm. And his needs at a certain era of time? Yes. So in order to make that claim for it to be valid, in Pastor Charles' case, see, he's begging the question, he's assuming that man's nature has remained static. That's what that would require, right? Yeah. 
I mean, the Bible plainly doesn't it plainly say in Hebrews in the Bible that the the law was changed, the priesthood was changed, so the law was changed. Right. Yeah. yeah. So does the law? The, the law changes. Okay. God God doesn't change his mind, but that doesn't mean he doesn't change his law. God's not bound to his law. He's the lawgiver. Okay, he's above the law. He's not bound to his law. The law is for us, right? Right. He's not he's not bound to his law, you know. That doesn't mean that he that doesn't mean that he, you know, lies or like contradicts himself or anything because that would be that would violate his revealed nature. You know what I mean? But that doesn't mean that he's bound to the law that he gives man or that he can't change the law that he gives man. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, God can't murder, he can't steal, he can't bear false witness. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, he can't. He can't rape anyone. Because he owns everything, you know. Everything is his. He can do whatever he wants with anything. And you can't, you can't say that he broke his own law that he gave. No, he's the lawgiver. He's above his law. See what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, I think it was a fallacy that he was drawing there. You know, basically that. I mean, he was trying to say that. He was trying to make a, a parallel moral comparison between God and man, you know, and assuming that they're in the same category. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're bound by the same... I mean, they, God plainly says, right, in Isaiah, I think, 55, 8 through 9, he says, my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You know, he's not bound to the law that he gives man, you know, that he bound man by... So, I think also in 1 Corinthians 9, 8 through 10, it says the law was given for the for our benefit, or it was given for man. Um, so, basically what I'm saying is, if man's nature has changed, which if you believe in devolution, you know, by necessity it would have to have changed, and you can deduce that from... Right from Galatians 3.19, where it says the law was given for transgressions. So obviously, man devolved to the point where he needed the the Mosaic law, right? Wouldn't that follow? Yeah. 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 So before that, the law would have it would have been less it would have been lessened it would have been it could have been loosened no it could have been less strict, right? Yeah. Because man's nature would have been different, you know, it would have been uh, less wicked, less evil, you know, not as not as devolved yet. So there could have been a time where incest was permissible. That would follow, you know. And I mean, I don't know how he could he could get around how I don't know how he could how could he possibly get around you know, a- explaining how Adam, you know, Adam and Eve's posterity, you know, if if not for incest, because he, he he claimed that, oh, well, this this has to mean that there were other people around then. Well, there were other people, but they weren't Adamites. There weren't any other Adamites around. 
you think they miss? Do you think they miscegenated? <laughs> I think they committed incest before they miscegenated with other races. You know what I mean? Because God didn't yeah. approve of miscegenation either, <laughs> so that doesn't work either. So it's, you're only this only reduces to basically two possibilities: either incest or miscegenation. Which one do you think is more likely? You know? Yeah. I think it was in. I think I think it was incest. I don't think they miscegenate. Well, they couldn't have miscegenated. We can contradict. We can rule that out just from the Bible because it says Noah was saved because of his uh, his generations were perfect, right? Yeah. Talking about his bloodline, so there's no possible way that there was miscegenation there. It couldn't have been. So that were, would have to be. There had to have been incest in the beginnings, necessitated. And it would have been permissible <laughs> in the beginning. And uh, I actually have, you know, there's further evidence that miscegenation is basically a, a violation of the natural order itself. Like it's actually encoded into physical reality. That it's a, you know, it's, it's a violation of it. I have an excerpt from this book here called uh, Pre-Atomites by Alexander Alexander Winchell. It's a very old book, but Ross is familiar with it. Yeah, I've read it. Uh, but yeah, there's this part right here. It says, I'm just going to read it. It says, the feebleness and perishableness of the mulatto, or the mixed race, to which reference has already been made in Chapter 6, is to be regarded as further proof of the physiological distance between the Negro and white races. Much has been written on this subject. Uh, Though the proposition has been disputed, and I shall not enter upon the discussion at present further than to make two citations. Dr. Barthold Seaman, writing of the mixed races of the Isthmus of Panama, says, quote, the character of the half-castes is, if possible, worse than that of the Negroes. These people have all the vices and none of the virtues of their parents. They are weak in body and more liable to disease than either the whites or other races. It seems that as long as pure blood is added to the half-caste proper, when they intermarry only with their own color, they have many children, but they do not live to grow up, while in families of unmixed blood, the offspring are fewer but of longer lives. As the physical circumstances under which both are placed are the same, there must really be a specific distinction between the races, and their intermixture be considered as an infringement of the law of nature. And it goes on, it says, As a second citation, I desire to place on record the intelligent original testimony furnished by Dr. Hendry, already quoted, after stating that mulattoes generally marry persons of pure or nearly pure black blood, he adds, quote, As a race, they are incapable of the labor and endurance of the Negro, and before the war brought lower prices except for indoor occupations as waiters, barbers, etc., when they breed in and in by intermarriage among themselves, scrofula and degeneration of tissue rapidly show themselves. Offspring become less numerous, and I believe the reproductive power would die out. I have had in cases in the second generation to deal with ulcers on the cornea, 
swellings of the neck, enlargement of glands, and the indolence and feebleness usually accompanying the lymphatic temperament. They are not fitted for hard labor and not very self-sustaining. My own observations lead me to believe that they are becoming less numerous since the war, end quote. And down here in a footnote it says, Dr. J.C. Knott states correspondingly, quote, they, mulattoes, are less prolific than the parent stock, which condition is coupled with an inherent tendency to run out, so much so that mulatto humanity seldom, if ever, reaches through subsequent crossings with white men that grade of dilution which, watch, which washes out the Negro strain, or stain, end quote. And then see, I'm reading here. What else I want to? Okay, it goes on. It says, uh, Mr. C.L. Brace has given such con- conclusions a a quasi-contradiction, but anyone examining his statements and facts will recognize their inaptness and inconclusiveness. For instance, he cites the increase of mulattoes in the island of Cuba as evidence of mulatto fecundity. Anyone will reflect instantly that such increase may arise from new crosses as well as from interbreeding of mulattoes. He cites Humboldt's observation showing that the mulatto in Mexico is longer lived than the cross between the Indian and the Negro. This does not touch the question of vitality of mulattoes compared with Negroes or with whites. The case was different in Brazil, but here the Negro was in a climate hot and malarious like his own, while the white population had to contend with unwanted adversities. This principle is recognized by Brace himself in reference to Java. Again, the relative prolificacy of different unions observed by quatrophages in South America shows only that mulatto crosses inter se and ab extra produce numerous offspring, something already notorious in the United States, but no light is thrown on the health and longevity of these broods. If the crosses between Indians and whites are physically superior to the pure Indians, it must be remembered that the Indians are a branch of the Mongoloid race to be regarded as much more closely affiliated to the whites than the Negroes are. Uh, so yeah, basically, you know, this is this was proven a long time ago. There's evidence that you know when the races mix their offspring degenerate basically at an accelerated rate. And it kind of has like a compounding effect. You know, if they keep mixing, if their posterity keeps mixing, then their then their posterity gets that much weaker and more degenerated. Basically, it'll continue until uh, infertility, is, and that's the eventual result. That's what you'll end up with if you keep intermixing. Uh, uh-huh. you're talking about you're talking about specifically mulatto, uh, you know, white plus black. Yeah, yeah. But this, I think it I think I've read evidence where it it'll it'll occur with any you know, any intermixture between races. Uh, well, I mean, cuz I was going to say it's just I, like just like animals, you know. Like you take a lion and a 
tiger, you know, you get the liger, they're usually infertile. Yeah, or a male. Right? Yeah, but it's just with people, I think it just it takes a little bit more time, you know, but it, you'll still end up with the same result inevitably. You know, it doesn't happen in the in the first generation, but it it will eventually happen you know, if you continue. Mm-hmm. Well, see, I was going to say that I've done family tree research on my own family, and uh, <laughs> I know I have uh, a few Native American ancestors very long time ago, 16th, maybe 15th century. So I was yeah, going to say I... the combination, uh, you know, different races com- combining might have different uh, severity of the bad effects. Yeah, yeah. Well, plus... Probably most of your family history, though, is probably, you know, of more or less a similar racial stock. You know yeah, I mean? those are the those are the could outliers. Have, right, so it could have, uh, you know, corrected itself somewhat. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is, I mean, this will only happen if you. I mean, each generation will intermix. You know what I mean, like with a completely different race, and you just keep doing that. No, with each generation, it'll just, it'll compound it'll compound the effects, you know, at an, at an accelerated rate, and then you'll really see it, you know. So the biracial person needs to choose a tribe, basically. <laughs> well, if, if they can, yeah, you know. I had, I had an excerpt from another book. I don't know if it was from this one, but it gave way more evidence on the ill effects of inner inner of race mixing. Like you'll talk about all that degenerative health effects that'll happen, and they just compound with each succeeding generation. So I'm talking like degenerative diseases and the the likelihood of you know being born with these degenerative diseases increases. Dramatically, which each, with each subsequent gener, uh, you know, successive generation, etc. Yeah. Mhm. Okay. Well, let's uh, see. So hold on, Chris. I have a uh-huh. question about all this. So, um. Oh, I was going to say, well, hold on. So there's actually a uh, there's a, an example from the Bible where we could see that uh, we could actually, you know, support this. That perhaps incest was uh, permissible before, you know, the Mosaic Law was given, indicating a change in law, you know, as progressive degeneration of man. Yeah. You know, progressed down through the ages. Well, you see that with uh, Abraham's wife, Sarah. She was yeah. uh, his sister. Mm-hmm. They had the same father, I believe, but different mothers. Is that correct? Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. Uh-huh. But, I mean, God, he didn't say anything. He didn't disapprove of that, or he didn't He didn't say anything disapproving of that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was going to mention, too, same for Moses' parents. They were nephew and aunt. Amram and there you Jehovah. go. There you go, uh-huh. That was later forbidden in Leviticus 18. That would have been a tabooed, uh, forbidden close union. Yeah. Yeah, see, there you go. So, I mean, we could make a case just right from the Bible that this is, 
No, this is uh, true. This is supported. So that's what well, I think happened. I think that you know there was incest in the beginning. There had to have been. It's necessitated. There's, and you're limited with options to. You're limited with op- very few options to explain what happened. Yeah. Um. Now, could it be considered incest if the female sibling emanated from the male? What are you talking about? Well, didn't we think that, uh, at least for the very early ones, like Cain and Abel and maybe the first few generations, that the uh, male, you know, the sons uh, were born twins with a female counterpart, a sister? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, yeah. I mean that wouldn't have been incest. Not at that not at that time, right? Right. Well not criminal in, I mean, it was sex with a sibling. But I mean Plus you can't those... you can't can't use the emanations and say it's in because what what ha, what works you know, how it works out in the spiritual plane is different from the physical. I mean Okay. Yeah, yeah I mean every, everything every, everything's an emanation, you know. Does it mean it's mm-hmm. incest? So, do you think that uh, it was only Adam and Eve themselves who the female emanated from the male in the physical plane? Well, I think everybody emanated from Adam. Well, all the Adamites emanated from Adam, you know, in an, in, in an ultimate sense. And we see right. a precedent from that in the Bible too, right, where it talks about people pre-existing and other people's loins. Yeah, we have an we have an ans- we have a collective identity. That's what the Bible teaches. We have an ancestral collective identity, right? Yeah. In a in a federal head, who would be Adam? We all pre-existed in Adam. Mm-hmm. We all we all technically emanated out of Adam, Adam Adamites anyway, right? Yeah. Uh, and probably probably similar for the other races too, although we don't know yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think I think all the other races had a federal head as well, who was made in the image of their um, token Elohim, I guess you could say. Or the Adamites were made in the image of uh, Yahweh or Yahovah, whatever you want to say. The heavenly Adam, Metatron, the Ancient of Days. Yeah. The head of the gods, you know, the first emanation. <laughs> so to cement our fundy Christian intolerant uh, status, would I be correct in uh, summarizing our view that miscegenation between the races um, equals bestiality? <laughs> uh, you could, I guess, yeah. Yeah. Biblically, yeah, I guess you could because they would technically be beasts of the, among the beasts of the field, part of that category. So then, the story of God bringing all the beasts and animals and creatures to Adam to be named, and none were suitable helpers for him, um, doesn't mean just that marrying somebody of another race would be suboptimal, but that Adam was being tested by God and he passed the test. Yeah. Okay. Huh.
Yeah, he needed he needed something after his own kind, you know. Yeah. This whole point of Genesis it teaches everything. It's the it's the law of kinds, you know. Everything is begotten after its own kind, right? Flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. Uh huh. Well, that just ruffles okay. my jimmies straight out of here. <laughs> Like my Jimmy's I have books that actually talk about that, too. I'll have to read them sometime. Let's see. Okay, well, they also talked about this guy on YouTube that I used to watch pretty frequently named Quasi-Luminous. Are you familiar with him? Were you familiar with him before the call? No, I don't think so. I might have heard that name, but I haven't watched it. Okay, yeah, I used to watch him like two years ago, like all the time, but I I stopped. Um, but I just stopped watching him because I basically came to the same conclusion that you know Dave did. He's a he's a mockery, blatant mockery of this Davidic figure, just like you know other popular guys on YouTube. For instance, Lord Stephen Christ. He's a very obvious one that's pushing, you know, this alternative cosmology and, you know, a, a reform of society and that people should go on this exodus with him and that he's also um, preaching that there's an imminent catastrophe going to happen. Basically everything that the, the Davidic king is supposed to, you know, supposed to, it's just a blatant mockery, you know. And thing about quasi-luminous is he's pushing that uh, people need to take an exodus to the center, the North Pole, with him to escape from the, the malicious creation, I guess. He's pushing the whole Gnostic angle, like Eric Dubay, you know, uh, that uh, Jehovah or Yahweh is this demiurge, the trap is here, and we need to escape, and we need to liberate ourselves from the malicious imposition of the flesh and the, the creation, you know, the physical reality, that whole thing. And have you have you heard of it? Have you heard of the whole blood over intent thing that they were talking about? That's something that no. he. I think that's something that that might actually started with quasi. I think that did start with quasi luminous. He was the first guy to do that. He basically th- says that in order to bring heaven to earth. You have to spill your blood onto like a piece of paper, and like basically, almost make like a blood covenant with him or a blood contract with him or something. And like he's actually sparked like this whole movement on. There's all these people that are doing it. I think that that's a pretty blatant mockery of you know how Yahweh and the Bible would require. He basically initiate covenants, you know, with blood. Like a blood covenant. Yeah. You know, I think that that's pretty obvious what he's doing there. It's it's mockery. So. I had not heard of that, no. Honestly, Mm -hmm. I don't, I haven't uh, watched or listened to many podcasts, just a few. uh, And mostly from YouTube, not iTunes or any downloaded episodes. You know, just the basic stuff like Rob Skiba and yeah. Uh, yeah. a little bit of Eric Dubé. You know, the basic flat earth guys. 
Yeah, yeah. I I don't listen. I I can't stand Eric Dubé, man. I don't even. Oh yeah, just, no, not he, anymore. I'm, I'm he talking about Yeah. I I listen to Rob Skiba though. I I like him. He's pretty good. The only guys I really listen to are Rob Skiba, Jaron, for the most part, and then Globusters, which is Morgyle, Jaron, and Bob, the three of them together. Okay, another thing. Uh, some guy on there actually re- referenced me. Did you hear that? On my podcast? He's talking about uh, how... On the forums? But no, on, on Dave's Dave's call. Oh no, I didn't. Uh, In reference to yeah. basically, you know, the heliocentric model, how and some comments I've made on it. Hmm. But he was basically saying he was arguing, you know, that he's basically using the North the North uh, Star Polaris argument um, in favor of disproving the heliocentric model globe model. And uh, Dave was basically saying, "Well, we can't we can't trust anything with the stars. Therefore, we can't use any arguments that you know use the stars for or against you know any any model. I mean, because we 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 don't even know if these stars are real, which I agree with him. I think there's a lot of evidence that they aren't. Right. The whole sky is some sort of extremely advanced projection that's." actually has, like, sentience behind it. It's linked up with some sort of sentient thing. <laughs> sentience. You know, it's actually interactive. But uh, I was just going to say that that's irrelevant because you don't even need to... You don't even need to just rely on the stars to, to debunk the heliocentric globe model. All you have to... Because... Not only should you have completely different star, stars and skies, you know, every six months, right? Because the Earth would be on opposite sides of the sun. You should never have you should never have the same pole star. You should have different, completely different skies, right, with different stars, you know, every six months, right? Yeah. I mean, not only that, but your day and night should shift as well, right? Every six months, that would follow by necessity, right? Your day and night would flip, right? Yeah, it would have to. <laughs> yeah, so you don't even have to. You don't even need to rely on the stars. You just the day night thing that that would have to flip by necessity. You'd have to. What used to be day six months earlier would would flip to night, and then it would be night six months later. It would alternate. You see that? Because mm-hmm. you'd be on opposite sides of the sun. Facing the op, you know, the opposite way, right? Yeah. Opposite sides facing the sun. So, I mean, that obviously doesn't happen. So reality does not conform with the the heliocentric model. You know. You're talking about the same time of uh, day on the clock would be differing, changing from night to day in that time period. Yeah, because yeah, because 
it's every six months the earth would be on opposite side opposite sides of the earth would be facing the sun right because it yeah. was going around the sun six months six months later it's going to be on the opposite side of the sun and the opposite part of the earth will be facing the sun so your day and night cycles would have to flip every six months by necessity right yeah you, you, you follow what I'm saying yeah I get it spatially. Okay. I just wanted to make sure you meant on the clock it would change. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's what I mean, yeah. yeah you're, what used to be the day, the, the hours in the day, you know, six months earlier, would, would six months later be the hours in the night? You know what I mean? Yeah, and and some idiots who don't believe this are going to say, well, daylight savings time, stupid. But that's only one hour, either way. <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. Okay, so I had one other thing. So there's this uh well there's this guy that's been on Dave's call before. His name's Bruce Bruce Gorman. Mm-hmm. I'm an older guy. But he's got his own podcast too that I listen to on TalkShoe. I'm gonna see if I can find it just so I can recommend it to people. Called Oh, I hate it. TalkShoe logged me out. I gotta log back in. You're still shown as uh, logged in in the chat. Yeah, I know. If you refresh, though, I'd probably... Well, now, I just logged back in just now. Okay. Called uh, Be Still and Know That Yahweh Is God. That's Bruce Corman's call. He's got some fairly decent shows on there, but... He had this... Well, he actually has this one pretty regular guest. He's this really old really old guy. I think he's, like, maybe in his 70s, but his name is Paul, Paul Burnham. I guess he's had a fairly extensive ministry career in his past. Um, and they got in an argument at the end of his latest call, Bruce's latest call, about a uh, flat earth. And Paul was arguing for the earth being a globe. And Bruce was arguing for it being flat, you know, based on basically scripture. And... Yeah. Paul was appealing to, you know, boats going over the alleged curve as evidence of a globe, and, and Bruce was saying, well, that's that's just perspective, you know, that's just how your eyes work, you know, it goes to the vanishing point, and the, the part closest to the vanishing point will disappear first, you know, which is why you see the mat, which is why the mast is the last thing to disappear, because it's farthest, farther away from the vanishing point, right? It just yeah. has to do with mathematics and angles, you know, just how the... Geometry. Yeah, the vanishing point works, and you know, he's using that to support flat Earth. And Rob Skiba put out a recent video lately where he basically said, um, I noticed that people are starting with, you know, people aren't using evidence to support their views. They're starting with preconceived notions and then they're interpreting the you know they're they're filtering the evidence through those you know where he was basically saying well we we need just need to use the evidence we just need to support our views with evidence you know without any preconceived notions but this gets into the whole thing of evidentialism this is the whole problem with this stuff this is why if you're just 
you can just argue endlessly about this stuff. You know, is going over the curve, is it perspective? Is it going over the curve, is it perspective, you know? You cannot rely on the evidence because all evidence requires, inter it has to be interpreted through a a preconceived, you know, uh, presuppositions, you know, a preconception. Know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You have to start with the proper preconception and then interpret, you know, and that has to dictate your interpretation of the evidence. Right? Yeah. You can't well, just see, rely on... People... Go ahead. No, I was done. You go ahead. Well, I mean, a lot of people, at least that I've talked to, you know, if they don't go silent, like you just said, um, something insane, you know, like relatives and family and friends, you know, the ones who can even listen past 30 seconds without interrupting and laughing you into silence, when you try to tell them about non-NASA cosmology, they, uh, they'll they go into textbook repeater mode, as Dave very... Uh -huh. It's a very good a good word, a good term, textbook repeater. They they don't, um, I don't know if it's emotional or they just think you've never heard it, like you grew up under a rock instead of going to the same schools as they did. Yeah. But it's like, uh -huh. oh, well, he just doesn't know. Let me just repeat everything I was taught. And they're not listening critically, you know? No. It's like uh -huh. you, be, you be quiet and listen and, and make sure this guy's not telling you something we haven't all overlooked before. And see if it makes sense. They don't even do that. It's like they don't know how to listen. People don't know how to listen, dude. I know. They don't know how to think critically when they've been, you know, educated, programmed. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, they're also operating off of the wrong framework, you know. And that's what this all comes down to is you're, you have to start with the right framework by which to even interpret any of the evidence, you know and according yeah. to which the evidence has to be interpreted. Otherwise, it's just my interpretation of the evidence versus your inter interpretation. We just can just go on endlessly, which is what... That's why the Flat Earth Movement is getting nowhere on YouTube and why you just have endless arguments. No one can get anywhere or arrive at any conclusions, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because you can. Unless you're... You start with the right epistemology. You can't. You have to start with the right proper ax axiomatic, you know, a priori before the evidence basis or framework by which to interpret the evidence and through which to interpret the evidence. You know? Yeah. The only thing that could justify that or guarantee that, a right or any kind of correct interpretation or any possible knowledge of any interpretation or any correct interpretation at all would be, you know, uh, presupposing revelation from an omniscient mind and then deducing from that. Yep. Starting with axioms revealed by an omniscient mind that are a priori that he revealed to us either innately or extra, you know, or extra positive law, you know, positive revelation. Yeah. Externally, yep, propositions, and then we deduce from those, you know, and that dictates our conclusions, and that's how we can have self-consistency, too, because it is self-consistent, you know what I mean? 
Mm-hmm. You start you start with an omniscient mind. That's <laughs> you can't get any more consistent than that. You know. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. People will try to charge that kind of argument as being circular. They don't understand all arguments reduce to the circular. They they either reduce to you as the authority and your starting basis as as yourself as the authority and as the starting point or something above you and higher than you. And if you start with yourself, is is your argument is your is your argument going to be self-consistent then? Uh-uh. No, it's going to be arbitrary. It's going to reduce to the arbitrary, right? Cuz you don't know everything. <laughs> Yeah. So how do you know that you're you're even reasoning correctly or that your base presuppositions are even true? There's no way you can know outside of yourself. So it is it's vicious circularity that is self destructive and internally inconsistent. See that? Mm-hmm. Whereas if you start with an omniscient mind, revelation from an omniscient mind, well he knows everything. So you got internal consistency there, guaranteed. So you have justified circularity. See, are all circles bad? That's what no. people people want to claim that, but is that true? No, it's not. <laughs> Some circles aren't bad. Some circular arguments aren't bad, you know? All arguments are circular. It's just do you have justified circularity or unjustified? Which is it? There's only one way to have justified. So... <laughs> uh. Well, I think that's all I had. That's all the comments and stuff I wanted to talk about, unless you had some from the call. Well, not from that that very latest one, but from the second latest after the I Am The DJ Part 1 and 2, the episode after that of Dave's. Um, is that the, is that the really old one that he re-released? Is it? I didn't know that. What, okay, well... I think it is. I think I think that's the one that was I on it. Yeah, I think that's one that we did in 2014 that he re, he just now re-released. Yeah. Oh. Wow. Okay, but okay. go on. Well, I thought the the discussion about how they how they have mocked uh, the coming Davidic king uh, by yeah. splitting, you know, by assigning certain uh, of the the stars and the actors and the musicians, which are possibly oh, yeah. the Illuminati bloodline themselves, to play out a mockery of their lives. Uh-huh. Uh, split into different people. Like he was talking about Gandhi, um, who was it, Michael Jackson, and somebody else. In in some... David Bowie. Music video of David Bowie's? Yeah. David Bowie. I mean, his name yeah. itself, you know, David, and then... He had a really famous album. What was it called? Like Star Child or something? Uh, I know I he had remember. one called Black Star. Yeah. He, like the man that was from heaven or something. I don't, I don't remember. But it's clearly mockery. I'm looking. At, I'm trying to look it up right now. Well, and, and Dave mentioned several other artists like Evanescence and uh, I don't remember who else. Uh, and he's mentioned man, Sting the in man another who fell to earth. Before. Man who fell to earth. That's it. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so, how how ubiquitous do you think this mockery of the coming king and queen and other 
figures. I think you also have, you know, uh, Elvis, yeah. the king. They call you even called him the king, right? Yeah, and Michael Jackson was the king of pop. Yeah. I think Elvis's most popular album, I believe, was, uh, I think, released in 1956. Mm. Which is, well, <laughs> somebody's uh, birthday there. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And so, Chris, how ubiquitous do you think this mockery of these important figures are? King and Queen and other, you know, good guys. How ubiquitous do you think that is in the music industry? I mean, how many of these songs by these well-known artists do you think are secretly hymns uh, to dark spiritual beings or mockeries of the good ones? I think it's, I would say it's all pervasive. I think it's probably all of them. It's just nearly constant. We're really that dumb that we don't know how to interpret it because we don't know the mythology and the yeah and the, uh-huh. the lost stories. Yeah. Uh huh. Crazy. Mm-hmm. I know. I know. David has mentioned um, Sting before. You know the musician Sting. Um, what, what was the song? Uh, if I ever lose my faith in you, it shows in the music video, the official one. Oh yeah, uh, this, I've seen this that. This caravan of people being led by it looks like a a joker or a jester, a, a clown figure. on stilts. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, isn't he even wearing like a crown and stuff? And he's uh. I think it's a jester's hat. He's dressed as a jester, and he has the the curly staff that the pope uses. Spiraled at yeah. the top. I think they like to portray him as the fool. You know, that's the fool tarot card. You know, in the tarot, yeah. the Joker, the fool. Does he have to start as a fool? You know, to 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 become enlightened, right? You have to realize you know nothing. You know, you have to realize you're a fool before you can become enlightened. Before anybody becomes enlightened, they have to go through the fool the fool stage, right? Mm-hmm. Gotta realize you're a fool. That works. But yeah, I think he even had he even had like a staff, I think, with like a C on the end of it. I think. Uh, I I don't think it was a C. It was like curled and spiraled several times, like one of those golden ones the Pope uses. Okay, hold on. I'm, I'm gonna look this. Up. I'm pretty sure it was a. Well, what what was it called again? If I Ever Lose My Faith in You by Sting. I'm pretty sure it was a C. I thought it was more wound than that. I may be wrong. Yeah, let me check it out, too. I mean, you, you, could, you, could, in, you could interpret it as a C. Like a stylized C. Okay. But well, there's see, also I, I, it looked like the Pope's thing, so I thought it was, uh, you know, calling him a religious leader, but mocking him because he's dressed like a jester on stilts. Sure, yeah, yeah. I think it's a C. It's a style I see as well. 
at the end of the staff. Why it's curled into the C shape. I mean, if you watch the uh, the iPet two the iPet goat two video, there's like C's everywhere. So that's supposed to be associated with somebody, maybe the queen. Uh. Maybe a name, possibly. Starts with C. Yeah. I, I don't know. Throw that out there. <laughs> uh. All right, well, you got anything else? No, I think that was that's all I had for now. Okay. Well, we will end it here then, and I will. I'll probably. Uh, I'll talk to you after this, but. Okay. We'll just. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening, guys. All right, we're gonna end it. All right, bye. Adios. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.